Luke 16, 19 through 31. Jesus continued. There once was a very rich man who had the finest things imaginable, living every day, enjoying his life of opulent luxury. Outside the gate of his mansion was a poor beggar named Lazarus. He lay there every day covered with boils, and all the neighborhood dogs would come and lick his open sores. The only food he had to eat was the garbage that the rich man threw away. One day, poor Lazarus died. And the angels of God came and escorted his spirit into paradise. The day came that the rich man also died. In hell, he looked up from his torment and saw Abraham in the distance. And Lazarus the beggar was standing beside him in the glory. So the rich man shouted, Father Abraham, Father Abraham, have mercy on me. Send Lazarus to dip his finger in water and, and come cool my, thump, my tongue. For I am agony in these flames. But Abraham responded, My friend, don't you remember? While you were alive, you had all you desired surrounded in luxury while Lazarus had nothing. Now Lazarus is in the conference of paradise and you are in agony. Besides, between us is a huge chasm that cannot be bridged, keeping anyone from crossing from one realm to the other even if he wanted to. So the rich man said, then let me ask you, Father Abraham, to please send Lazarus to my relatives. Tell him to witness to my five brothers and warn them not to end up where I am in this place of torment. Abraham replied, they've already had enough warning. They have the teachings of Moses and the prophets. And they must obey them. But what if they were not listening? The rich man added. If someone from the dead were to go and warn them, they will surely repent. Abraham said, if they won't listen to Moses and the prophets, neither would they believe even anyone if someone was raised from the dead. Take a moment in silence.
world. I command you not to be wrapped in thoughts of pride over your prosperity or rely on your wealth, for your riches are unreliable and nothing compared to the living God. Trust instead the one who has lavished upon us all good things, fulfilling our every need. Remind the wealthy to be rich in good works of extravagant generosity, willing to share with others. This will provide a beautiful foundation for their lives and secure for them a great future as they lay their hands upon the meaning of true life. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly There's a story of Mother Teresa being interviewed, and the interviewer said to her, um, how can you even believe in God when there's so much poverty in the world? And Mother Teresa said, don't go blaming poverty on God. Terrible poverty exists in the world because God's children refuse to share. So if you're like me, you follow the lectionary, and that means you're reading all kinds of scriptures that you prefer are not there, including the one from Luke today. Like if I could rewrite the Bible, I would tell God about the things that shouldn't be there. And Luke 16 would probably be among them, saying, God, I, I know who you are. I know the God of love. I know the God of redemption. I know the God of resurrection. Why? is there a message like that in Luke 16? Why are you trying to disturb my comfort? Does anybody want to say amen? Have you ever read the Bible and had your comfort disturbed? Yeah, well, that's the point most of the time. You're either getting comforted because you're disturbed or you're getting disturbed because you're comfortable. It's one or the other. If you need to be comforted, trust me, God's word will comfort, just like God's word comforts me. But God's word will disturb us and get us to ask questions of God that we might not ask unless we had been disturbed a little bit, unless we had our comfort disturbed just a little bit. Shane Claiborne says about Luke 16 and this parable of the rich man and Lazarus, he said, I think the parable shows us that we have a pattern in our culture that teaches us to insulate ourselves from suffering. 
to build up gates and walls and borders and fences that separate us from those who are suffering right outside of our comfort. But we come to find out that not only are we locking uh, the, the suffering out, but we're locking ourselves in to a life that's incredibly lonely. Those patterns rob us of life and community. Lazarus is the only person named in parables. I don't know if you know that. Lazarus, he's the only one. This Lazarus who was poor and treated badly by the rich man when he had all those boils eating the rich man's garbage and the rich man never reached out to him. Lazarus is named and his name means the one that God heard and rescued. I think many of us could call ourselves Lazarus today. And so he cries out to the rich man who's not given a name. He cries out to Father Abraham, so it sounds like he was a religious man, but he had locked the poor out of his life. And I think the invitation here is to rewrite the end of this parable. We have an invitation to tear down the walls, to bust through the fences, and to get to know the names and faces of those who are suffering right outside of our comfort. I mean, they're right here. Here they are. If your household income is $48,000, you are in the 1% of the wage earners in the world, the richest. Can you imagine? So many of your households, you're in the 1%. And I I think to myself, oh, God, what does that mean? Who is Lazarus right outside my door? I want to pay. I want to. I don't want to build walls and fences to stay comfortable. I want to be aware. Now, you might not feel rich at all. Who feels rich today? Like you just are, you know, you got it. You're loaded. There might not be many people here that would say that. But think about the last time you felt rich or maybe the first time you felt rich. I think I was um, a six-year-old, and I opened up my birthday card from my godfather, and there was two bucks in there. And every year on my birthday, he sent me two bucks. And I felt rich every time I opened up that card. Do you guys remember that, being a kid? Somebody gave you money, and you're like, oh, my gosh, take me to the dime store. They call it a dollar store now, everybody, but it used to be the dime store. And so you would want to go to the dime store and get the, you know, the stuff with this two bucks because you're loaded. And the reality is the more that we have gained in our lives, you know, those things that are corroding in our house, um, you know, the clothes that are getting eaten by moths or the, you know, the silver coins, won't say any more about that, Scott, that are gaining tarnish. Or, you know, maybe you collect gold and it's got chips. I don't know. But the reality is we all have more than we need. If you've ever cleaned out the home of somebody who just passed away, or in my case, uh, when I cleaned out my mom and dad's house, moving them from um, the one apartment that they had already cleaned everything out from living in the quad level to now move into the little apartment, we couldn't believe how much stuff there was. I mean, it was unbelievable. My mom did like QVC. And, uh, and so there were just a few of those QVC boxes, and we went through all of that, and we cleaned all of that out. We got them in their apartment. And then, um, you know, about seven years later, my dad passed, and my mom is now in assisted living, so we had to clean out that apartment to move her to assisted living. 
And I'm telling you, it all multiplied again. It was, it was there. It was all there. And, um, and so no judgment on my mom. I just went and walked into my closet and thought, Lord, in your mercy, hear my prayer. You are never going to wear that size again, Claire. It's time for you to give it up. You know, there are things that we have held on to that moths are eating and rust is decaying, and we have so much. So when you think about the last time you felt rich, I don't know when it was, but let it be today for a moment. Let it be today that you know that you have more than you need. If you have two pair of shoes, you don't have one. If you have two degrees, if you have one home, one roof over your head, one bike that can get you where you want to go. We realize that God has invested so much in us, and there is a Lazarus that lives right next door. You might not think that that's Lazarus because there's no boils, and maybe he's not eating out of your garbage, but Lazarus lives near you. Here is the word of God through Paul. We have this treasure in jars of clay to show the surpassing power of God. It belongs to God and not to us. I mean, there are fabulous times in Scripture, like when Jesus said to the disciples, you feed them. There's 5,000 people that are men and then plus women and children. You feed them. Can you just look at your neighbor and say, you feed them? Right? Or how about in Exodus? Here, here's Moses standing there, and, and, and he's, he says, Oh, God, I can't do what you're asking me to do. And God says to him, What is in your hand, Mo? And he had a staff. He didn't have a bunch of money. He didn't have, he really was in danger if he was going to return to the people that God was calling him to. And God said, What do you have, Moses? Well, I have a staff because I'm a shepherd. And God says, Good, that's all you need. You got a staff. So I, I listen to God say to me on so many occasions, I don't always pay attention. What is in your hand, Claire? You feed them, Claire. You do that, Claire. But many of us, you know, we have um, a, a recollection of a time when we love to do what God asked us to do. Like we were so in love with Jesus. Like just say the word, I'm going. I'll go to my neighbor. I'm going to go hang out with that neighbor that drives me crazy. Or I'm going to go take food to that neighbor. I'm going to go open up the door and bring reconciliation to that neighbor. And, um, and I, I think uh, we, when we remember that, we remember our hearts on fire. Our heart in love with Jesus when we first found out how much Jesus loved us. And then there wasn't anything that could keep that fire down. I, I, um, I did some reading this week from Helen Fisher, who's an anthropologist, and she talks about this work she did with a neurophysicist and a neurobiologist where they took people that were in love and put them side by side in an MRI and watched their brain activity. And so these two people who were in love go in this MRI, and they find out that three places in the brain light up, the place of pleasure, the place of risk, and the place of attachment. When you're next to somebody you love, the place of risk, the place of pleasure, and the place of attachment light up. Like, you'd do anything for them. I'd do anything for Scott. 
Like anything. I would do anything. I'd take any risk for Scott and have. And I am attached to Scott. But when I think about if me and Jesus were to go in the MRI together, how much might light up in my own brain around attachment, around pleasure, and around taking some risks? Like, would my brain just light up like it is with Scott? And I know that there have been times in my life that was absolutely true. And they actually have done recent studies on people that have been married more than 25 years, and those people still light up in the MRI. And I have to believe that those of us who have loved Jesus for a long time can still light up. I want to light up, friends. I I want pleasure to light up. I want attachment to light up. And I want risk to light up when I think about God. But many times, you know, we've let go of the thing that we've loved the most. Like Henry Ford said, I was happier when doing a mechanic's job. Sometimes we just start doing the things that don't give us the light up. You know, like we don't feel pleasure. We don't feel the the willingness to take a risk for someone or attachment. And I want to say, let's return to our first love, as it says in the book of Revelation. You know, when I read a scripture like Luke 16, I don't want to shut the book. I want to say, God, what are you saying to me now? What are you saying to me now, God? Gary Haugen said this. He said, victims of oppression and injustice don't need our spasm of passion. They need our legs, our lungs of endurance. Like to go a long time. Like we are going to go the distance with Jesus, friends. We're going to go the distance for our neighbor. It would be amazing. He also said, when our grandchildren ask us where we were when the voiceless and the vulnerable um, in our era needed leaders of compassion and purpose, I hope we can say that we showed up on time. So I got a note from one of our 20-year-old moms this week. She sent me a note and said, I just watched this movement, uh, this movie called um, uh, Something Love. Can't remember what it is at the moment. And I'd like to show it at the church. Um, okay, I'm just going to call you out, Lindsay. What's the name of the movie? L- Love Anyway. And it's about building um, compassion for our neighbors in the Middle East. And that because of 9-11 and because of ISIS, we may have lumped an entire group of people into one pool and demonized them. And how can we choose to love our neighbors? Amen? You guys want to go with Lindsay to that movie? She's going to show it in the cafe upstairs. I, I have to tell you, friends, if we actually would realize that our neighbors are here right now, right here, that we have neighbors that live across the big lake, and we have neighbors that live right next door. I would say my first neighbor that I ever paid attention to in a way that took my heart was um, a girl named Nina, and she was living in the brothel next door. And that brothel was run by a man named Brooks, and he was, he was um, trafficking young females. He picked up vulnerable young females and trafficked them from his home. And we lived next door. And there were times I would see Brooks and Nina getting fistfights out in the street. And I really didn't know what to do. I honestly did not know what to do. I was in my 20s myself. I didn't, I, I didn't, you know, I didn't wear a badge. I didn't have any training. But one day I just knocked on the door when I knew Brooks was gra- gone with a loaf of bread and a jug of milk. And I just said, Nina, you need some milk and bread. And I just gave her the milk and bread. 
And that began a relationship with Nina over several years where um, some time later, you know, we uh, attempted a rescue with her. Um, and that's a big, long story. But my life uh, is um, God comes disguised as my life. And God comes disguised as your life. And the people who live near you are a part of God knocking on your door, right? And, and our, our, world, our neighborhood is so big now that we can turn on the Internet. Because then you turn on the Internet and you go, and that's my neighbor, and that's my neighbor. You know, so some people will say, Claire, how did you ever get involved in the Michigan Human Trafficking Task Force? And, and I didn't start out as the chair. I started out as Nina's next-door neighbor. And that started to open up my heart to say, what in the world is going on? And so I was, I was asked to do um, a talk, and uh, my, our executive director said, Claire, would you put together a, an autobiography of how Crossroads has been involved in human trafficking? So I'm not going to read it to you, but it went like this. But it started here with Nina. I mean, there were little steps that we took along the way. People that would say, hey, I have a TV we could take to sexual assault services. Hey, I'd like to go paint a room at Safe Place. Hey, I could volunteer at the conference. I have to tell you, it was just a loaf of bread and, 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 and a gallon of milk, right? And there's 17.2 million people possibly. It goes anywhere from there to 35 of people who have a neighbor, that sees they need a loaf of bread or a jug of milk or a way to buy fair trade coffee so that children are not doing it for us. Jim Martin said the call to the work of justice is therefore not God sending his church out to a place where God cannot be found. Rather, God is inviting us into the place where God is already at work. God's already at work. You know, sometimes God tricks you. Where you live is where you live on purpose. Look for Lazarus. What you catch on television is on purpose, right? Our lives must pass the seek justice test. You know, it's up there on the wall. All of our young parents, you take your kids up, you come down, it's right above the wall. What does the Lord require of you but to do justly, to love mercy, to walk humbly? with your God and with Lazarus. Because here's the deal, friends. What do you have to give? Give that. What is yours to do? Do that. I love when farmers walk in here with tomatoes. It's awesome. In fact, uh, Stacy Livingston gave the worship team a bunch of tomatoes last week. And, and they're all organic. And then she's telling me she doesn't even use manure. Um, she uses some other kind of manure, but it's made out of like parsley and sage and it's composted and anyway I mean I felt the freedom to eat that tomato with the dirt on it was awesome like get in touch with my dirt you know from where I came and where I will return and I I love that you know there is this beauty of you have something to give give that you have something to do do that it might be a loaf of bread it might be tomatoes you've got it God has a scheme with your life. Our stuff will tell the stories of our lives when we die. Like when they come in, wouldn't it be great if we would die with nothing? 
Like if people went into our house and we had given everything away. Like I didn't have 50 suits that I'm never going to wear again sitting there. You know, that I actually, um, people would come in and say, did she, what, what did she, what did she wear? But right now I would be condemned. I would be condemned for false hopes and dreams in keeping those things there, thinking that someday I will return to them and I will not. What stuff will tell the story of our lives? What do you want left over when people walk in and look at the things in your room? How do you want to be remembered? We are going to leave 100% of what we have. And if it comes to me, I want it to flow through me. If you look at anti-slavery handmade items back here in 1849, they included pen with wipers inscribed, wipe out and blot out slavery, or plead the cause with thy pen. Needle holders proclaimed, may the use of our needles stick the consciences of slaveholders. The cake table, cakes, everybody. God schemes with cakes. The cake table was loaded with varieties of cake made with sugar, not manufactured by slaves. And near it was placed the motto, free labor. Now we call it fair trade. And a shout out to Blossom and Sung Roasters Coffee, who does not get beans from children who are picking the bean, but uses fair trade beans. And so, you know, this, this is it. Not a loaf of bread. Not a gallon of milk, it's a, it's a bean for you guys. I want to say that there's something, there's tomatoes in your life. There's tomatoes in someone's future. During slave time, a signal had two messages for women who made quilts. One, prepare to escape. Two, follow the North Star for freedom to Canada. The North was the direction of traffic of the Underground Railroad. I want to just say to you guys, remember your North Star. Did everybody get one? Did you get a North Star? You all have one. Mine is Nina. I remember her. She's one of my North Stars. What way did you and God wake up to love, and that's why you started to do the things you did? What if you and God were in the MRI, and they started to talk about you and God coaching, or you and God cooking, or you and God counseling, or you and God giving money, or you and God serving in a particular way, what would come alive in your gorgeous brain? And when you know it, do it. And then say to God, how can we make room for more of that? Because I want my love to be alive. I don't want to go through the motions. I don't want to serve Jesus out of religion or fear of hell. Amen? I, I want my North Star to guide me. Here is where love lives with me and God. Here's where it is. Because that will remain. These are the things that will remain. So I'm going to ask us just in a moment here for just your ability to be quiet for a minute and answer the question, when was the last time you felt rich? And not really with the $2 in the card, but a moment where you felt like, oh my gosh, I'm alive to pleasure. I want to take risks because I'm attached. When did you feel rich? Maybe make a note in your phone or just have a quiet prayer with God here and say, God, how can we do more of that?
and even breathe in the grace of that, like when your brain, you know, was lighting up. And if you've never experienced that, just say, God, I want to fall in love with you. God, I want to be attached to you. God, I want to find pleasure in you. God, I want to take risks with you. If you've never known God is generous with you, just say to God, God, I, I want to remember where you've been generous with me. And if I really never have known your generosity, I would like to know you in that way. Generous, loving God, the God who is attached to me, the God who took the risk for me, the God who takes pleasure in me. I want to know you that way. If you've never known God that way, come on, confess that to God in your own heart and say, God, I don't know you in that way, and I want to. I want to have a life that's led by love and that all the ways you've made my life, your story that I didn't even know, come alive. And then could you be really brave and ask God who Lazarus is in your life? Who the person that really needs your tomatoes, your willingness to notice their suffering. Your Middle Eastern neighbor your rich neighbor who doesn't know real wealth. The one that's not like you. The one that you have already in your mind said they're going straight to hell. That's your neighbor. And may we... God, could we see the real meaning of the parable here and your heart in it to get us to say, take down your fences, take down your walls, take down your biases, and be generous with your time, with your talent, with your treasure. Maybe take a look at some of your stuff. Just get it in your mind right now that if you were to go home to Jesus today, all the things you'd leave behind. And just ask God, is this for me or is this to go through me?
Until everything within me, everything within us brings honor to your name. With all of our heart, all of our passion, we will thank you, our God. And so for all of us, for you, my friends, you have been in communion with your Lord. Go forth now in the strength and assurance that the Lord Jesus Christ goes with you. And we all said, Amen. Have an amazing week. Let the Lord go with you. Watch where the God, where God is going before you and walk out in God's goodness this week. We'll see you next week.